I'm really excited to share this message tonight. It's about being childlike. This is actually going to be a two-part message. Um, there's, this is something God has spoken to me over many, many years. Let me give you a little bit of background. Um, many years ago, when I was first healed of stage 4 cancer, God spoke to me. It was when I was first learning to discern his voice, and it was so sweet. I asked him, I said, Father, what did I do to receive healing? That's a big question. And as soon as I asked that question, it, this was probably two years after I was healed. I never asked before that. I rejoiced. I praised my amazing God, but I never really asked him, God, was there something specific I did? And I'm not saying that this is the same for everybody, because I know it isn't. God heals so many people. <laughs> his will is to heal. And his way of healing is so personal and so intimate. So it's always different. But when I asked him, God, what did I do? This is what he said to me. He said, Cindy, you came to me like a child. You were open, trusting, and obedient. I didn't even really know what it meant to be childlike. I didn't even really know what the Bible said, if anything, about being childlike. So I started seeking what the Word said about it. And what I discovered is that this is what Jesus wants. I'm going to read one particular scripture in just a minute. But then the other thing that I saw, looking back into my, into my journey, was that the qualities of being like a child come natural to me. I'm a very simple girl. I was an elementary teacher. You know, when I taught, and when I, when I, I still, even with my grandbabies, when I share something with them, God has gifted me in a, in a way to be able to just be like a child and share things with them in a way that they can receive and understand. And you know, it's just the way God has, you know, made me. That's how I'm wired. So to be like a child is simple for me. But I want to read what the scripture says, and then we're going to be talking a lot about why childlikeness is God's best for everybody. Let me read the scripture. This is Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5. At about the same time, the disciples came to Jesus, and they were asking, who gets the highest rank in God's kingdom? For an answer, Jesus called over a child. Now, let's just stop right there. Can you imagine how confusing that must have been? to the elite religious men and women of, the, of that day, for them to, to be talking about who ranks high in the kingdom of God, and then Jesus calls over a child. Children in that era were to be seen and not heard. They were not a part of the religious you know, celebration. They were there, but they, it wasn't like they were being taught themselves. They weren't being uplifted. But Jesus did that. He called over that child, and he said, I'm telling you once and for all, that unless you return to square one and start over like children, you're not even going to get into the kingdom of heaven. Let, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. Whoever becomes simple and elemental again, like this child, will rank high in the kingdom of God. Now I need to very carefully say that the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about is not heaven after you die. The kingdom of God, Jesus came to display for all of us. Jesus showed us the kingdom of God through his life. Jesus showed us the heart of the Father, the will of the Father. Jesus came with a mission. And I believe Jesus' mission was twofold. The first part of his mission was to 
advance the kingdom of God. Jesus was King Jesus, the authority over the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of God. The presence of King Jesus over and above and in dominion over the kingdom of darkness. So he came to advance God's kingdom and he came to destroy the kingdom of darkness. Jesus right here is saying that we are to do the same thing. We are to come like children. We are to come simple and elemental again. We are to come starting over like children, returning to square one. And he said, that's how you're going to be high in my rank. We're called to be the, the carriers of the kingdom. We're called to advance the kingdom of God. We're in commission with Jesus. The same mission that Jesus carried, we carry. And in order, Jesus says, in order for us to rank high in that kingdom, we need to be like little children again. I want to share something that concerns me about me and about probably a lot of people in the Christian world. And that is, when I was first born again, when I was first diagnosed with cancer, I was a baby in Christ. I was, you know, a newborn. I, I was learning. I was growing. I was reading the Word for the first time. I was falling in love with Jesus for the first time. I was developing a relationship with Him for the first time. So it was easy to be like a child. Today, 19 years later, my journey is a whole different place. I'm going through another healing journey right now. God still wants me to be that little child. He still, especially when we're mature believers, he desires us to come to him as a child, not as a mature believer. This is, this is my concern. This is my fear. My concern is that when we're mature, when we know the promises in the word, when the word is alive in us, so alive that it's, that it, it's like we could quote scripture and verse from, you know, a lot of the Bible. We know the healing scriptures. We, we have that knowledge. We know Jesus is our healer. We know that he portrayed the Father's heart. We know the word. When we know so much, our own knowledge can get in the way of trusting God. And that's, I believe, why Jesus says, start over again. When I think of childlikeness, I think of my grandchildren. I have two so far, and I have a grandbaby daughter on the way, being born in July. Yay, Jesus. But we have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, and they are so trusting of their mom and dad. Because they've been, they've, their, their mom and dad have always been there for them. Kids, and I, I guess we should think a little bit smaller because Colton and Cora are getting to be pretty independent in a lot of things. But think about it like a three-year-old or a two-year-old. They don't worry about their mom and dad providing for them if they have a good, healthy home, like Chad and Kay as parents. They don't worry about having good food on the table every time they're hungry. Mama Kay is a really good cook, and she feeds them so healthy and so well. They don't have to worry about being safe and being protected. It's just their mom and dad take care of them. They trust them. If they have any need whatsoever, they run to their mama, their daddy, and they ask for help. If they're crying, if they're hurting, their mom and dad take care of whatever that need is. 
because they're, they've always been there. They completely trust their parents and they don't try to do anything or everything on their own. They're children. That's how God wants us to be. He wants us to be in that place of not worrying at all. Knowing that our Father is so good, that he's always been there, that he always will be, that he'll take care of any need we have, that he's going to protect us, he's going to make us feel better when we're hurting, he's going to provide for our, our needs. He's going to do everything because he's such a good father. The same way that Colton and Cora trust their mom and dad. That's childlike faith. So today we're going to talk about one specific characteristic of this childlikeness. We're going to talk about trusting God. Next week we're going to talk about joy, anticipation and joy of the promises of God. And this, this is so precious to my heart because this is, this is my life. Absolutely my life. I trust God. I say those words every day, multiple times a day. I just trust you, God. I love you, God. I trust you, God. I know you're taking care of me. I trust you. I want to look right now at two words, two biblical words. Huh, I'm on two biblical words. <laughs> That's okay. Same beginning to both lessons. And, and the difference between them. Because there's a difference between having faith in God and trusting God. Faith is a noun. It's something that we have or something we possess. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it's the evidence of things not seen. A substance is a thing. Evidence. It's a thing. It's a noun. Faith is confident assurance of truth. Faith is being fully persuaded in our amazing God, in his faithfulness, in his word, in his promises. Faith is an absolute persuasion and a knowing, a knowing. You know that you know that you know that it's God's will for you to be well. You know that healing is more real than the doctor's report or than the symptom or than anything else. It is a knowing that rises up into you that's almost a holy roar. But trust is a step further than faith. Because trust isn't just having something or possessing something. Trust is an action. Trust is faith in action. Faith always comes first. But trust doesn't necessarily follow. You can have that full persuasion and not act on it. Trust can only come with faith. You have to have faith first, but trust can only come out of your faith. And the bottom line, the bottom um, piece on your handout is where I really want you to zero in. Faith is trust in action. I'm sorry. Trust is faith in action. It is a, it is a willful choice in how you think in how you speak, in the choices you make, and in the actions you take. 
I can't always see trust, but I often can. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We have a choice about what we allow to come in our brain and take up residence and go around and around and around. Trust is choosing to focus on what's good and not to allow those worried thoughts to take up residence in your brain and in your heart and in your emotions. Trust is speaking words of faith, not making a choice not to speak the problems. Trust, am I, am I completely messing up faith, the words faith and trust? Thank you, okay, I, I just got this. Okay, trust is an action. Your thoughts, your choices, your words, your actions. I wanna give you a natural example of the difference between faith and trust. I have two brothers. Um, both of my brothers are pilots. My oldest brother, Rick, was in the Air Force. So he went through the Air Force Academy, and after the Air Force Academy, he went to pilot's training, and he was trained to be a B-52 bomber pilot. He was the captain of his crew, so he was the pilot, and he was highly esteemed. Um, I, I love to talk to my brother, Rick, about his years in the Air Force, because he has some amazing stories to tell. But one of the things that he shares is several close calls that happened while he was flying where um, there was grave damage to his plane. And because of the choices he made, because of his um, uh, expertise as a master pilot, he saved the plane, he saved the crew, and you know, all was well. He was an excellent pilot. He, he did his full career, which was 20 years with the Air Force, and then he retired. After he retired, he loved flying, so he bought a small uh, commuter, a small little plane, a, a private plane. He got his private pilot's license, and just for fun, he had a plane. He would fly up to the lake, up to the, you know, where we go to the cottage and stuff like that. Well, my brother Rick, I would fly with in a heartbeat if he invited me to fly with him. I have faith that he's a good pilot, and I trust him enough to put my life in his hands because I trust my brother Rick. I not only have faith in him, but I trust him. My actions follow my believing. My other brother, Denny, I love both of my brothers. They're both gifted in many, many ways. But my brother Denny didn't go through the Air Force Academy. My brother Denny didn't go through Air Force pilot training, but he's also a pilot. He went and got his private pilot's license just because it's something he wanted to do. It's something he always dreamed about doing. So he went and got a small pilot's license. He bought a little plane and he loved to fly. My brother Denny, unlike my brother Rick, um, wasn't so safe in, in his experiences, not just with planes, but with every kind of vehicle that he ever drove. So my brother Denny, I love him, he's an amazing man, but he had a lot of car accidents, motorcycle accidents, um, snowmobile accidents, and when he was flying the plane, he had at least two instances that I'm aware of where there was pilot error, and he almost crashed. He didn't. Thank you, Jesus. And the reason he didn't is because of what Rick had shared with him that he did in the middle of an almost um, crash, and it saved his life. But the bottom line is, I didn't trust Denny. He asked me over and over and over and over again to fly with him in his plane, and I said no. No, no, no. I would never get in the plane with him. He doesn't fly anymore because he's been grounded because of some physical things. 
But the bottom line is, I didn't trust Danny. Did I believe he was a pilot? Yep. Did I believe he had done everything, you know, for the state to pass his pilot's training and get, you know, a license and be able to fly? I believed all that, but I didn't trust him. Now, the reason I said all that is because where I want to go next with this teaching is why can I trust God? Why can I trust God? In this case of my brothers, I trust one brother because he's proven his faithfulness. He's proven his ability. He's proven his qualifications. Well, I can trust God because a lot of reasons. I'm going to share some of them with you. And my heart is that as I share these with you, they're going to ring in your heart too. They're going to come up and stir in your heart as I share why I trust God and why I can trust him, not just faith in him, not just believe what the word says, says, not just make a choice to believe with childlike faith, but also to trust and to take actions based on my faith. So why can I trust God? The first reason is because I know his love. I'm going to read 1 John 4.16, and I'm, when I read it, I'm going to personalize it for me, but I want you to, to personalize it in your heart as I read it as well. I have come to know by personal observation and experience and have believed with deep, consistent faith the love which God has for me. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides continually in him. My heart is for all of us to be able to say, I have come to know the love of God through experience, personally. I want to tell you about a woman that, that shared something with me that really impacted me. This was about six months ago. Um, she was coming to our meetings on Mondays, and she came up to me numerous times and said, Cindy, I just don't know the love of God. I want to know the love of God, but I've never experienced the love of God. You talk to me about the love of God. I want to know that love, and I just don't feel like I know it. And, I, and this beautiful woman was in the middle of a battle, is in the middle of a battle with cancer, and she felt it was critically important for her faith to know the love of God. And, and I would talk to her, and I would, you know, love on her, and I would declare the word over her and pray for her. But, but this is how God revealed his love to her. It was so beautiful. She was at home and reading the word, and she was seeking the love of God. So she was reading bunches of scriptures about God's love like this. He says, God is love. That's what the word says. And the word is truth. God is love. She was reading scriptures that said things like, God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Third, or John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to us so that we could have eternal life. So she was reading scriptures about love, and then this is what she did, and this is what she said. She said, the Bible is true. 
The Bible is true. And if I believe the Bible is true, and I do, then it's my choice to believe that God loves me. I don't have to feel it to believe it. She made a decision to choose to believe that God loved her. She didn't have a tangible presence. She had never experienced the tangible presence of the love of God. But she made a choice to believe the love of God. And when that happened, it was revelatory to her. It was, it was like God turned a light on to the truth that he loved her. She still didn't have the tangible experience of love, but she had a revelation of his love because she said, okay, God, you say it, I believe it. That night she came to our meeting and she was so excited. She said, Cindy, I have this revelation. I have a revelation of God's love. We were talking about God's love. Now I know God's love. I have revelation of his love. It says it in the Bible. I believe it. I know it. It's real. And she was so excited. I remember that night. She was so giddy excited. At the end of the evening, I was praying with her with a couple of other people. We went up to her and prayed for her. We were praying for her body. She's in the middle of a battle with cancer. We were laying hands on her and praying for her body. And while we were, the loving, tangible presence of God came on her in such an amazing way. She was undone. When she made the choice to believe that God loved her, that's when the tangible presence of God completely rested on her and wrapped his arms around her and just completely undid her. It was so beautiful. So the first reason that we can trust God is because he loves us. One of my favorite quotes, I share it many, many times. It comes from the book, The Shack. And the quote is, trust is the fruit of a relationship in which you know you're loved. I can trust God. I can act like I believe in God. I can speak like I believe in God. I can think like I believe in God. I can, I can be filled with joy in the middle of a battle of cancer like I really believe in God because I trust him, because he loves me. I believe I put this on your papers. If not, let me just speak this very slowly and clearly because it's beautiful. We're loved by God, and that is the basis for our healing. It's not our works. It's not our performance. Because the Father loves us, he has freely provided all the healing we will ever need through Jesus' death and resurrection. Because of his love for us. One of the scriptures that every time I read it, I just weep, is Hebrews 12.2. And in the midst of Hebrews 12.2, it says, Jesus, for the joy of obtaining the prize, endured the cross. And when I think of that, I think, how could the word joy and the word enduring the cross even be in the same sentence? Well, it's only because of love. That Jesus loved us like the Father. He reflects the heart of the Father. He is the perfect imprint of the nature of God. He loved us to the death and did it 
with the joy of obtaining the prize, not joy in enduring the cross, but the joy of obtaining the prize, which was our salvation, which was our healing, which was our abundance of life. So I trust God because he loves me. I trust God because he's faithful to his word. Psalm 38, verse 9, or 39, verse 8, talks about the faithfulness of God. O Lord God of hosts, who's like you, Almighty Lord? Your faithfulness surrounds you as an intrinsic, unchangeable part of your very being. <laughs> God is faithful. He is faithful. And he's faithful to his word. He is a God of his word. In second, Amen. In 2 Corinthians, it says that um, every promise in the word of God has been fulfilled through Jesus. And God says yes to every promise. It's, and, I, and we say amen. We say, God, thank you. I agree with you. I believe you. I agree with you. I love the, Abra the Abraham example. Abraham says, go to the next slide, hon. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. He never wavered. The only way Abraham could not waver is to trust God. That's a, that is a perfect picture of trusting God. There was no hope in the natural. It was, it was hopeless in Abraham's life to be a father of many nations. But he believed God's word anyway. That's trust. That's a choice. In fact, Abraham's faith grew stronger. Do you hear that? His faith grew stronger. It didn't grow weaker. He had been waiting to be a father of many nations for like 25 years. It doesn't say his faith grew weaker. It says his faith grew stronger as he gave glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. That's trust. Being fully convinced no matter what the time, no matter what the clock says, no matter what your body says, no matter what the doctor says. Because God is faithful to his promises. Over my life, God has proven his faithfulness to me. He doesn't have to. I keep saying, God, your word is true. Your word is steadfast and unchanging and living and powerful and true. And yet, he keeps showing me his faithfulness. I think sometimes the little tiny things overwhelm me even more than the huge, great things. How God is faithful in everything, every facet, every step. If I just look at my life, a few days ago I was, I was in prayer and I was just remembering all of the things that God has healed Kent and I of. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some of them. But God healed me of cancer 20 years ago. I know that my body is healed now. Thank you, Jesus. I can feel it. I can see it. I know it. He healed Kent of his bad knees. He has brand new knees. Yes, he has new knees, um, artificial knees. But God blessed it. And now we have the miracle of being able to do everything we love to do. So he's got new knees. God healed him of kidney stones. God healed him of a heart attack. He's healthy. He's strong. 
He healed him of diabetes. He healed me of thyroid issues. I have zero problems with thyroid, even though there's no thyroid in my body. My, I have no fatigue. I have no, you know, ups and downs and weird stuff going on. Like I talk to all sorts of people with thyroid things. Nope, not me. Because God has watched over me and protected me and cared for me through every facet of our lives. He has shown me his faithfulness. I trust him because he's faithful. I judge him as faithful. I trust God because he promises us good things. In James 1.17, scripture says, every gift God freely gives us is good and perfect. Every gift. God doesn't give bad gifts. Every gift is good and perfect. That word in the, in the um, original language means complete, good and perfect. It means complete, wholesome, abundant, sufficient, enough, perfect. God's gifts are sufficient. God's gifts are enough. He provides for everything. Every gift that God gives is good and perfect. Streaming down from the Father of lights, who shines from the heavens with no shadows or darkness. No shadows or darkness. And is never subject to change. The term hidden shadows or darkness implies that there is nothing that you will ever find in our God that is in any way remotely dark or evil or changing. He is steadfast. He is only good. There is no darkness. There is no ulterior motives. The only gifts that our God gives are good and perfect gifts. I can trust him because he gives good gifts. And I trust him because he's a really good father. My son, Chad, is a really good father. Kent and I spent the last week or two out there, you know, when we went out on vacation, and I was able to watch him with those children. Kay is a really good mother. And because of the parents that they are, my grandchildren are growing up in an amazing home, and they can trust their mother and father. My heavenly father is the absolute best father there ever was or ever will be. He is a good and perfect father. And if my babes can trust their dad, I can trust my father. Because he's good. He is only good. I love this scripture from Matthew 7, verse 11. Jesus is speaking. And he says, If you then evil, sinful by nature as you are, know how to give good and advantageous gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven, perfect as he is, give what is good and advantageous to those who keep on asking him? Amen. Our Father knows how to give good gifts. Healing is only one facet of his grace, but it is an integral facet. You can't take it away. I have a beautiful diamond ring that Kent gave me on our 25th wedding anniversary. It has beautiful cut, 
facets that sparkle when it's clean. I, I can't take part of it away. It all goes together to create the beauty. We can't take healing out. It's part of grace. It is a beautiful part of grace. It is an integral part of grace. And it is part of the beautiful, good, and advantageous gift that our Father wants to give us. Earlier in the scripture, in a verse or two earlier, Jesus says, would any father, if a son asked for bread, would he give him a stone? Or if he asked for, for uh, fish, would he give him a scorpion? And the implied answer is, no way. No good father would do that. And then Jesus said, if you, a natural man, who isn't perfect, if you want to give good gifts to your children, how much more your perfect father. So think about you as a mom or as a dad or as a grandma or as a grandpa. We want to give our children the very best. We love our kids. We want to give to them and, and bless them and help them and be there for them because we love them. If your child or somebody you love dearly was sick or in need, you'd want to be there helping them. You would want to be there providing everything you could do for them. I'll never forget when I was first diagnosed with cancer 20 years ago. And when I told my mom, she said, Cindy, I would give anything to trade places with you. That's what mothers say. That's what mothers, it wasn't just words. She meant it. Every mother here would probably say the same thing to their daughter, their son. She couldn't. In the natural realm, she couldn't. But Jesus could. And he did. Our Father desires to give us every good and advantageous gift. That's why Jesus said, I came to give life and a life of abundance. A life of overflow. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. When I look at the words taste and see, the words I think of are experience and perceive. Experience and perceive the goodness of the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. I see this scripture as a continuous, beautiful cycle that when we experience and perceive the goodness of God, our trust grows. Our trust grows. We are blessed. And then as we are blessed and as we trust in God, then we experience and perceive his goodness even more. That's what I feel like. I'm, I feel like I've been on a, a beautiful Ferris wheel over, I love Ferris wheels. It's like the only fair ride I love, but I love Ferris. I feel like that's what I've been on just over and over. God just keeps showing me more and more and more and more during this amazing season that I've been in. I keep experiencing and perceiving his goodness in the middle of what the world would say is, you know, not a time that you're thinking about the goodness of God or you're not experiencing good stuff. Oh no, that's a bunch of baloney. Because when we trust God, when we put our trust in him, he takes care of us. When we're that little three-year-old saying, Daddy, here I am. I need you. 
He's there to pick you up. He's there to help you. He's there to love you. He's there to comfort you. He's there to strengthen you. He's there to give you peace. He's there to encourage you. He's there to be your cheerleader. He's there to affirm you. He's there to heal you. He's there to make you stronger in your spirit and your soul and your body. He's there for you. But in order for him to be there for you, we have to let him be. And that's what trust is all about. So, I've talked about why I trust God. Because he loves me. Because he's good. He's a good father. He has good gifts for me. Because he's faithful. He's faithful to his word. And I've experienced all that. So have you. And so have you. God, show them how they've experienced and perceived your goodness. Make it so big in them that that it's like uh, uh, um, fireworks just exploding. Show them, God, how they've experienced and perceived how amazing you are over their lifetimes. So we've talked about why we can trust God, but now I want to talk about what it looks like to trust him. Because I've said that trust is a step beyond faith. Trust is faith in action. So the first thing I want to do is I want to give you God's direction for trusting him. These are life scriptures for me. And they're very common scriptures, so I know you've heard them over and over again. Please hear them today for the first time. Me too. I'm going to listen to them today as if I've never heard them before. Starting over again, simple and elemental again. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in God. Trust in God with all your heart. In the Amplified, the words that it uses for trust. Lean on, rely on, trust in, and be confident in the Lord with all your heart and mind. I want you to think of one of the words in there, the word lean. It's used in the second part of the scripture as well. So we're going to look at the word lean. Trust in the Lord. Lean on the Lord with all your heart. That which you lean upon is that which supports you. Let me say that again because it's really important. That which you lean upon is that which supports you. God says, lean on me. Let me carry your weight. Let me carry your burden. Let me carry your pain. He already did it. Let me carry your your worry. Let me carry it for you. Lean on me. That's what trusting is. Leaning on God. Stop leaning on yourself. The second part of the scripture is where we get totally messed up. Because what the world does is we lean on our own understanding. God says, don't lean on yourself for support. Don't lean on your own intellect. Don't lean on your own research. 
Don't lean on your own reasoning. Don't lean on your own understanding. There's such a better way. That's says, lean on me. This is my heart cry day after day after day after day. God, I trust you with all my heart. I lean on you. I let you take care of me. Remember Colton and Cora. Remember the three-year-old letting their father take care of them. Lean on God. Let him take care of you. What does that look like? I'll tell you what it doesn't look like. Research. Questioning, reasoning, thinking, worrying, making a zillion phone calls, talking to everybody about what to do and how to do it. That's leaning on your own understanding. I make a choice, and this is, this is, it's not only, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's not only something that's natural to me, it's something that is integral to who I am. I cannot research. It's not that I just choose not to. I cannot do it. Because if I take a little bite of information, I can feel fear. I can feel oppression. I can feel uh, the enemy attack. And I turn it off. I mean, I say, no, 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 no. Get away. Get out. Get out. I literally um, and, 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 and turn it off and let it go in one ear and out the other. It is, I am adamant. It is so adamant in my life that I refuse to fuel information and reasoning and research. Why? Because I have a daddy who's taking care of me and he has proven his faithfulness to me. When I made that decision in, I believe it was November, that we decided to do the, the traditional treatment, that was the end of the story. From that point on, I have put my trust in God for the treatment. I have put my trust in God to protect my body. And what I have seen, what I have experienced, what I have experienced and perceived over these last months is three things. God is healing my body. I can feel it. God is, is, um, he is uh, I'm, let me back up. God is disintegrating cancer, number one. God is healing my body. There were bones in my body that were, um, they had problems. My bones are getting healed. I can feel it. That's the second thing. The third thing is he is protecting everything in my body. I've had zero side effects, zero symptoms. In fact, um, when we went last week, I met with, uh, we meet with lots of doctors when we go to the healing center, and one of the doctors they had me scheduled to meet with was a nutritionist. So we were sitting talking to the nutritionist, and um, she said something about my blood. Well, I have a patient portal. I get blood work done every week, but I have never went on that portal to look at what that blood test says. I don't need to. I feel great. I know that my blood is fine. They said, if it isn't, they'll call me. I've not gotten a phone call, so I know everything's fine in there. But we were sitting there, and she started to talk about my blood. So I asked her, and I, I rarely do, but I did. I said, I've never looked at the portal. Uh, can you just tell me what my blood is looking like? And she looked at all the numbers. The very things that I had been trusting God for, she verified through the blood. She said, um, your kidney function, your liver function is perfect. I've been speaking over my kidneys and my liver because 
they did say something way back when about chemo and kidneys and kidney, chemo and liver. And I don't even remember which one's which, but I've just been speaking over them and declaring blessings over my body. And Psalm 91 and protection. And she verified it. And then she looked at all the other numbers. There's bunches of them. Hemoglobin and white blood and blood, red blood and I don't know what they all are. Platelets. I don't pay attention. But she looked at all of those numbers and she said, they are very good. And she said, in fact, for somebody who is in the midst of chemo treatment, these are extremely good. So what did I do? I gave glory to God. I've been trusting God. I got that report. I'm glorifying God because he's watching over my body. He's protecting me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and he'll take care of everything. I'm not researching and looking at all those reports. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Something else that I do, and it's written down on your paper, I give up my right to understand and my need to understand. I don't need to understand all of the details. I have no idea about the details of the cancer I was diagnosed with. I have never looked it up. I probably will when I get the final good report but I haven't yet, and I'm not going to. I don't need to understand it all. That's the doctor's job. I put my trust in Jesus for my doctor. Let me tell you something else God did this week. When I was at the healing center last week, he showed me that my doctor's Christian. My doctor is um, Indian. His name is Dr. Syed Abu Talib. Took me a lot of practice to be able to say his name. <laughs> but he is a very precious man. He is filled with joy. He smiles all the time. He is very positive. He is very, um, he, he loves to tease. He's just this really fun man, young, and um, he's just encouraging. But I thought that he was not Christian because of his background. I just kind of took it for granted he wasn't Christian. So last week when I was in there, um, I had a cross on. And when I, he walked into the room, he said, I really like your cross. And I said, thank you. And then he made a comment. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something about how important faith is. So I was going, my ear was tuned, right? And he, he, then we had our discussion. He shared with me what's going on, next steps and all that. And then he got up to leave and he looked right at me and he said, I'll be praying for you. And then he stopped. He looked at me very seriously, and he said, I mean it. It just blessed me so much. So I put my trust in God. I know, I'm going to go in a minute, that he's directing my paths. And now he's giving me evidence of it. He is showing me. In fact, I journaled. He is, God spoke to me. He said, I wanted you to know, Cindy. I wanted you to have confidence that I've got my best for you. That's not the, the whole story. The next doctor I went to, I had another procedure done, and I had an, uh, I've had the same procedure four times, and I'd never had this particular doctor. And when I went in, it was a woman, and it was almost the same story. Um, during the procedure, they did an x-ray, and I had a gown on, but my cross was showing. I didn't take my cross off, and she saw my cross on the x-ray. <laughs> and she said, I like your cross. And I said, thank you. And um, I made a comment about something. And she said, yes, our bodies are amazing. 
But she said, it's not by chance. And then I said, God is amazing, isn't he? And she said, I knew we agreed about that. So two in a row, two doctors in a row, God showed me their faith in Jesus, their faith in the healer. And then God spoke to me that day and he said, I wanted to give you even more evidence of how I'm walking you through this. He's so good. Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I love that word, acknowledge. It's the Hebrew word yada. The word yada means to know intimately. It means to experience or to encounter. It means interaction or exchange between you and God. God says, I want you to know me, to experience me intimately, to encounter me. In all your ways, I believe that means in every facet of your life. He wants us to know him intimately in every facet of our life. Sometimes we kind of um, put God in, in um, separate rooms. Like, this is my healing room, and yep, you're all in here, God. But over here in my career, I got this one handled. God says, no, I want to be in every single facet of your life. He loves it when we let him be God. That's what I say. God, I let you be God in every facet of my life. I want to know you, God. I want to encounter you. I want to know you intimately and let you know me intimately in every facet of my life. That word acknowledge also means that when we know him and experience him, it is important to remember those things, to keep them in our remembrance, to keep them in the forefront of our heart and our mind. Because what does that do? That builds us up in our faith so that we can actively trust him even more. So pay attention. In every facet of your life, look at what he's doing. It's fun. Write it down. It might be in this facet, and then this facet, and then this facet. And you look at everything and you say, God, you are amazing. So this is something he showed me last week. This is something I know I've told you already that is just bringing me great joy. And that is seeing step by step by step how God has been healing my body. I won't go into all the details, um, but he's shown me lots of different things in my body that, it, that, he's in, that he's healing in an amazing way. And this week, this is what he showed me. Um, let me back up. A month ago, end of January, I was in, in, uh, at the healing center with chemo coming into my body, and I was journaling. And as I was journaling, God spoke to me. I read this to you last week when I was reading my journal. And part of it said, this month, you will dance again and you will jump for joy, or you will, you will, you will jump for joy and shout in triumph this month. And so it was like, okay, God. Because I have had zero pain in my back from almost the beginning. I mean, that immediately went away. And, um, but the only thing that I still wasn't able to do was any impact. So whenever I would jump or a light, gentle jog or any kind of aerobics where I was jumping, it hurt. And so I just didn't do it. I was, I'm very cautious. I'm not going to do something that I think might damage my body. So I'm being very careful. 
So last two weeks ago when we were out visiting our grandkids, they have a trampoline. And I, and I, I was outside with the kids playing and I said, Colton and Cora, Grandma's going to get on the trampoline and try jumping because God told me he's going to heal my back this month so that I can jump again. And they're saying, okay, Grandma. So I get on the trampoline and I start jumping and I only jumped like three or four times and it was like, ow, 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 ow. So I stopped and I said, well, not yet. Can't jump yet, but I will. So I got off the trampoline. So last week I was, um, came back from Chicago. It was Thursday. We got home on Thursday. And I felt God say to me, try it again. It was only a week before that I was out west, couldn't jump on the trampoline. And so I, I thought he said, try it again. So I listened to God, and I think he's speaking to me. So I said, okay, God. So I went downstairs the next morning. That was Thursday. The next morning, Friday, I went downstairs, and I dug through my exercise videos. And I have one that's Zumba. Girls, you know what Zumba is? It is a crazy uh, um, Jamaican, Brazilian, whatever, uh, dancing exercise video. And it's good exercise, and it's fun to do. But I haven't been able to do it in a long, long time because there's lots of impact and lots of, you know, big time jumping around, and I'm not really a good dancer. But it's good exercise. So anyway, I got out that Zumba thing, and I put it on, and I could do it. I could do it. It didn't hurt. And Kent comes out. He says, honey, you're looking really good. And I'm crying, exercising, doing this dance and saying, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. And so then I thought, okay, I'm really going to test it out. So I started jumping. And I can jump. And I can jump. And I can jump. And it doesn't hurt. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. He says, acknowledge me in all, all ways. When I show you these things, when you experience and you perceive it, pay attention. Glorify me. And watch me. Just watch me direct your paths. Watch me make them straight and smooth. Ken and I were talking this week, or I think it was even today, about how God has directed our paths with our home. We just trust him. We just trust him. And what we have seen is everything has just been falling into place. One contractor after another, after another. Yeah, we've had, you know, it's been a little bit of time. I realize that. But it's not because they haven't been working. It's everything is just coming into place, one after another. I mean, Jenny's friend um, is, is doing our granite. What a blessing. And um, gave us an amazing price. And he's coming out this week to measure in two weeks. I'll have countertops and yay, God. Anyway, everything, one thing after another, has just been unfolding right in front of us. And I said, honey, God is directing our paths. He's making them straight and smooth. Trust him. Trust him. Acknowledge him. He's so good. So I'm going to close with four simple steps to grow your trust. I've already kind of talked about all of them, so I'm just going to briefly just highlight them. The first one is to surrender constantly. Live a life of surrender. When we were singing that worship song, I surrender God. All that I am for your glory, God. All that I have for your kingdom and your name. Surrender constantly. It is first step, but it's also a continuing requirement Every day we must consistently lay aside our own plans and surrender to his. 
1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Set aside self-righteous pride so that he may exalt you to a place of honor in his service at the appropriate time, casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, and all your concerns once and for all on him. For he cares about you with deepest affection, and he watches over you very carefully. I love that word. I love it. And it, the word cast literally means to take it off of you and throw it away. Cast it off. That's what God wants us to do. Surrender it to him. It starts out with the scripture saying, to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he can exalt you. His grace is increased with humility. His grace, I believe, is, is we hold it back when we exalt ourselves. Humility allows God to exalt us. Once you stop trying to do things in your own strength, God will take over and lift you to new heights. Let go, like a little kid. You don't have to do it. Number two, don't depend on you. Depend on God. Big problem in this world, a big lie. The enemy has conned us into believing that independence that being in control, that they're good, personal, powerful attributes. But God says, no, the opposite is true. Self-righteousness. God says, no, I have a better way. Come to me with humility. Many of us want to be in control. We want to step into that position of taking over, being in control. God says, I have a better way. Surrender to me. Let me be in control. The world says independence is important. God says, be dependent on me. And then I'll lift you into that place of exaltation. But start with being dependent. Then there's an add-on. There's another thing that multiplies this deception of the enemy. And that is when we have been disappointed or when we have put our trust in human humanity, and we haven't been able to trust that person. What we've had instead is where we have been, where, where they've dropped the ball, where they haven't done what they said they would do to support us or to be there for us or to help us or to take that responsibility. So we have to do it. And then we, we say, just going to do it myself. I know it will be done right. And I'm not saying that in a facetious way. I'm saying it is a danger because we, we attribute something that we've experienced in our life to God. And we think that we can't trust God because we haven't been able to trust somebody that's integral to our life. And that's dangerous because God's not anything like the person who hasn't been able to meet our needs. God is there for us. He will never leave us. He will never not be there for us. James 4, 7 says, Submit to the authority of God. Resist the devil. Stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance and insignificance in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up, and he will give you purpose. That's God's best. 
So don't depend on you. Get out of the way. Depend on God. Number three, put God first in your life. I love the way the message says this. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, and God provision. Steep your life. Steep your life. Soak, saturate yourself. When you put a tea bag in a cup of hot water, the tea becomes completely dispersed into the water and you can't take it back. It is, it is the aroma, the flavor, the, 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 the excellence of that tea comes into that water and they become one. That's what God wants us to do. To steep in him, in his reality. God's reality is so much better than the factual stuff that we're living here on this earth. Steep yourself in his reality. Steep yourself in his provision, his promises, his initiative. He did it all. He initiated the work, and it's a finished work. Steep yourself in that demonstrated work of Jesus. And then he says, don't worry about missing out. All your everyday human concerns will be met. Seek God first and foremost every day, in every way. I love Pat's story from this morning or from this week when she was like you know, saying, okay, God, I don't want to you know, be legalistic about this, so I'm just going to do this different. And God says, baby girl, it's okay. It's a good thing to come to me every day, every morning, and start with me. It's good to seek me through the day. It's good to trust me in every facet of your life. It's good to let me be your daddy, to let me pick you up and carry you. It's good when you're broken and when you're hurting to come crying to me. It's okay, baby girl. That's what I'm here for. It's what I want to do. Number four, rest in the love of God. Ephesians 3.17 from the Passion. By constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you. It says using your faith, by constantly using your faith. Trust is using your faith. Trust is faith in action. Trust is keeping your thoughts centered on the, on, on the goodness of God and not the gravity of the problem. Trust is choosing what to speak and not to speak, choosing what to look at, what to focus on, and what not to focus on. Trust is acting like you believe God in the midst of whatever it is you're going through. God says, when we consistently use our faith, the life of Christ, the life of Christ will be released deep within you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and the root of your life. The love of God, the life of God, God is love. The life of God, the love of God will be the very source and the root of your life. 
providing you with a secure foundation that grows and grows. Rest in that place. And then Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29 talks about rest. Are you weary carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me. I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways, and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, easy to please, and you will find refreshment and rest in me. Amen. Notice Jesus says, come to me, learn my ways, simply join your life with mine. So, Father, I pray right now that that's what we do, <laughs> that we come to you like three-year-olds, lifting up our arms and saying, Daddy, pick me up, <laughs> hold me, help me, I need you, I'm hurting, Daddy. I'm scared, Daddy. Whatever it is, run to your Father. Lift up your arms and let him take care of you. Trust him. Trust him. Thank you, Father, for showing it to us in a great way, more than we've ever known before. In Jesus' name, amen.